Hello, everybody, and welcome to the sports podcast known as the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, and thank you for listening on this Friday to this wild sports ride. And I promised I'd deliver the goods a while back with a couple big interviews. Here's the first of that. Will Burge, Cleveland Radio professional. He's been in the game 10 years. He's a vet, and he is a young guy. We're going to discuss all about his role as a current iHeartRadio host. does some pregame stuff for both the Cavs and the Indians. He hosts a podcast as well. We'll talk about his unconventional entrance into the business, the amount of activities that he does and that he has his hands in, as well as his opinions on the hot take community, roadblocks that have gotten in his way, and what it takes to be successful in this business. It's a very fascinating conversation with Will Burge. You're not going to want to miss that. And at the end of the show, I'm wiping off the dust. We're going to bring back Mitch's three things. I'm going to talk about three different sports topics, give my brief opinions on that. We're going to keep the show moving. we got to keep it entertaining. Will is up first. The Money Mitch Effect will burge. Here we go. All right. Now joining us on the Money Mitch Effect, special guest today, Will Burge from Cleveland Radio. Will is a seven-year vet in the radio game. He works for iHeartMedia. He's worked at a lot of places that we're going to get into. Will, thank you so much for joining the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Good to talk to you again. I know it's been a while, and we're going to get into the backstory in a little bit, but I have to ask you, I'm always curious with people that work in the industry like yourself, there, there's probably a lot going on. Do you have about 100 things going on right now in your life as you do and, and work in a lot of different avenues? Yeah, I mean, this is this, this is a hustle, man. This game is uh, the days of working for one you know one newspaper, one radio station, and that's your money, and that's what you do. Those, those days are long gone, I mean. I guess some people do that, but uh, I like to actually have money to do things other than barely eat and survive. So, yeah, man, I'm hustling. I mean, you know, you gotta you got to have your hand in a million different pots, TV, radio, writing, doing stuff in politics and stuff in sports, uh, pretty much anywhere you can get a check. Well, absolutely. And I think it's interesting, too. We, I met you as an intern at ESPN Radio in 2010, the summer of 2010. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that was when you first started to break into being kind of mainstream in the in the business, you were producing the Red Guy and Rota show. Is that correct? Was that yeah. your first step in the door? Yeah, well, actually, yeah, that was the first time I had got, basically got a, a, a major position. I was, um, I started as an intern and basically just kept, I wasn't even in college. I just bugged them until they gave me uh, an internship. I came in for what's called a free food Friday and Tony Rizzo's show, you know, but mm-hmm. for your listeners, it was a radio host. Every Friday, I have a different restaurant come in, give them food, and they talk about it. And I came in with my mom's restaurant she was a manager of, and um, I, I fell in love with it instantly. So I started bugging them for an internship. They gave me one. Actually, that was on a $10 bet, too. My buddy bet me I couldn't get an internship because I wasn't in college. I ended up getting it, just wouldn't leave until they finally gave me a part-time job. And right when you got there was when I got bumped up to be the afternoon drive producer. And that was a huge step. I had to believe full-time. I had a full-time job as a phone technician, which made really good money. And I had a family, actually just my son had just been born uh, about a year before that. I just bought a house. So it was a huge step to make that move over to radio full time. But it was great because it gave me a chance to be on air more, to understand what it's like to produce a major show in a major market and, and really opened a ton of doors for me and kind of got me where I am now. Wow, that is incredible. I didn't even realize the full backstory of it will and and i guess my follow-up to that is was sports something that you always had in mind or you were aiming for or was it something that just suddenly in that moment you thought this is a career i could get into 
Um, you know, it was always kind of in the back of my mind, I guess. I, I originally wanted to be, if I ever thought about sports, it was being a newspaper writer because I grew up loving the newspaper. And I'm, you know, I'm young enough to where the newspaper wasn't that relevant my entire life. People read it, but, you know, when you're young, you don't really read it. But for some reason, I always loved the newspaper. I love game recaps, but I love columns, and I loved reading about the sports teams in town. And, and I always thought that was really cool. And, and another thing I liked about it is I loved that the radio shows would have on these sports writers and they would get to talk about their work. So when I finally decided to get into journalism, which really was at pretty much at that moment, um, I had done a couple little you know articles here and there online for different places, but they were just you know messing around. My original intent was to get the internship at the radio station. I was finishing up my degree, and I was going to go try to find a job at a, at a newspaper. By the time I got there, newspaper industry was dead. Yeah. And, and I'd always loved sports, so radio just seemed like a perfect fit for me. Now, since then, uh, you know, I've branched off into a million different things, but certainly sports is, you know, it's the, as, as Tony Rizzo, the guy from uh, old ESPN Radio said, it's the, it's the toy department of life, man. It's the, the most fun thing to be in, certainly. Yeah, and, and I think another thing that you and a lot of people in that era and, and this generation have in common is trying and getting skilled at a lot of different things. I believe, you know, you started doing board op stuff, producing, and now as an on-air host. How do you think that helped you as a host now, being able to do the other things that make a radio show successful? Oh, I mean, it's immensely. Uh, one, I'm, I'm, I'm not an a-hole to the producers like a lot of radio hosts are. <laughs> yeah. Because I understand what's happening on the other side of the glass, and sometimes all hell is breaking loose, and you don't know as a as a host. That's their job as a producer to make sure it doesn't leak out of the air, you know. And then the structure of a show: what makes a show sound good? How how smooth should it be? You know, how many calls should you take? How to how to structure different segments? But I would even take it and extrapolate it out more than just producer, host, and radio. You know, I when I got let go from ESPN, I got a severance package. And I went out and started doing stand-up comedy. And I think stand-up comedy immensely helps, you know, what I do on the radio. And I, I learned to edit video and to do things in front of camera, which mm-hmm. made me even more confident on the radio because, you know, cameras are ten times scarier than talking to the microphone when no one's there. So I think finding, finding skills in everything, if you learn to write, your content will be better on air. If you learn to produce, your show will be structured better. If you learn to be in front of the camera, you'll be more confident on air. You know, the stand-up com- comedy thing allowed me to infuse humor into what I do more seamlessly than I had been able to before, which has always been pretty natural for me. But it just it became even more natural after joke writing and some of those things I had learned over the year and a half that I was doing Sam County before I went back in the radio full time. So I think getting your hands dirty in everything is the way to go if you want to be not just in the sports journalism business, but any journalism business or, or anything that has to do with media, period. You should learn everything. Yeah, and the parallels, I mean, between comedy, stand-up comedy, and being a host, especially a sports host in a passionate town like Cleveland, are immense, but I, but I have to ask: Is there anything quite like stand-up comedy? I mean, you think there's pressure as a host hosting a show dealing with callers, but when that when you're on stage <laughs> and you're telling jokes and it's basically just entertain me, I can't think of anything more high stakes than that. No, it is. It's, you know, the thing is, I've always had this thing in my life where this is going to sound super cocky. I don't mean, come that way. I've never really been nervous for things. Um, mm. I'll get excited for stuff, but I don't ever get nervous. I have this. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's the worst thing on earth, but I have this stupid confidence in myself that no matter what I'm going to do, I'm going to do well at it. And half the time I bomb and I do terrible. But I, then I have one under my belt and I'm able to work from there. So everybody who says the first time they do stand-up is the scariest. And the first time I did stand-up, it's actually, crazy enough, was my first date with my girlfriend now, who I've been with almost wow. four years. 
Um, and people are like, what are you, crazy? You took her on your first date to stand-up comedy? But it was one of those things. My, my, my dumb ass and my confidence <laughs> thought I was going to kill it. And I didn't. I mean, I did okay. Um, but the, you're right. The stakes being up on the stage with everybody just staring at you, a really tough crowd to crack is one of the hardest things you will ever do in life, whether it's stand-up comedy or you're emceeing an event or you're, um, you know, you're a speaker at an event. I mean, the tough crowds, it's just you got to find a way. you got to find what they're feeling. you got to figure them out. It's like, it's like solving a puzzle, but it's also one of the most gratifying things. Where in radio, you're sitting in a room, you have no idea what people are feeling, liking, laughing on the other end of the radio. In stand-up comedy, it's instant gratification, man. It's like a drug. <laughs> and once you get a dose of it, there's no turning back. It's awesome. Right, and I would imagine, I mean, that is that is a wild story, a first date to stand-up. I actually had never heard that, a stand-up debut, I'd actually never heard that before. But like you said, if you tell a good joke, it is, it's like a drug, it's instant gratification, but it, it quickly goes away. So being able to persevere during those uh, during those moments is something to uh, remember. As I'm still talking with Will Birds on the Money Mitch Effect, Cleveland Radio host, iHeartMedia. Well, I want to talk to you about kind of the process of working your way up in sports media, in, in the radio industry. It's a competitive industry, as you know, and, and everybody has roadblocks. What were some things that kind of got in your way, made it difficult to keep pushing forward in that industry? Oh, man. I mean, the, the, some of the toughest ones is, well, there's, there's yourself, first of all, because you become frustrated at times and think, I should be further than where I'm at. Or you look at someone else and say, I think I'm better than that person. I'm more skilled than that person. How come I don't get those opportunities? Mm-hmm. But one of the hardest things immediately in the industry is taking that and throwing it out the window. Because how good you think you are means nothing. It's how good the people who make the decisions think you are. And then how, how well you take an opportunity, grab it, and run with it. And so once you're able to get past that, which is not an easy thing to do whatsoever, the next roadblocks are really... If you're talented, it's going to be the people who are ahead of you that start to see you nipping at their heels. I mean, I've had that happen mm-hmm. literally at every radio station I've been at so far. There's the head guy or the main guy in the station loves you when you first get there. They support you when you first get there. And within six months to a year, they hate your guts because you don't kowtow to them. You don't think you don't think they walk on water. You're just doing your thing working. You consider them a peer, even though they might be 20, 30 years your elder. And if they see that you're talented and you're that confident, you know, they become worried uh, about their spot and what they're doing. So that's, that's a huge roadblock as well because those people have influence. And it's really tough to, you know, navigate around being true to yourself, remaining having that confidence that you know you can be good and that you can succeed in this business and, and keep going, but also walking that fine line where you don't piss them off to the point where they get you ran out of whatever station or, you know, wherever place you're writing at. Um, so I think those are two, probably the two biggest ones. And then the other one is just life. I mean, this is a business where, Everybody wants to work in it. Everybody wants to do it. So there's tons of people willing to work for free. There's tons of people willing to work for peanuts, which means you have to be willing to work for free in the beginning. And you've got to be willing to do go and work at any time, a moment's notice. And unfortunately, that interferes with your life, with your significant other, with your kids, with school, whatever it is going on. You know, it's really hard to balance those things. But once you find that balance, I mean, you're off to the races. It's just, it, it'll take some time. Yeah, and I would think transparency, too, in that regard, like just being up front and, and making sure that you also have to be organized, too. I think that's another thing um, I would say, given given what you said in terms of being able to work whenever, just being able to work and being prepared on a moment's notice. And you referenced before, Will, getting let go from ESPN Cleveland. A lot of people in the industry have been let go at times. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with the setback of 
of losing a place of employment and then trying to find that next step and, and keep pushing on? Um, well, I think I was, I was probably a little luckier than most is where I was, I was really hitting my highest point in my career right when they let me go. Um, I, was, I was making a really good name for myself here. Our show on ESPN was uh, the second highest rated show on the, on the station, even though it was buried at nighttime when you could barely hear the thing. Um, I had the second most endorsements at the station, and other radio stations won me. And there was a new radio station in town that just started through the fan. So I had opportunities right out of the gate. Bleacher Report contacted me that day. 92 through the fan contacted me that day. A couple of TV stations contacted me. But I approached it as, I got I to gotta tell you, right away I was excited because I felt like there was probably a better opportunity out there for me, better money. But there's that nervousness of what if there isn't? You know, what sure. if I'm not as good as I think I am? And also, you know, to be frank, the embarrassment of going back to your friends and they've known you as, oh, this is my duty, he's on ESPN, or, you know, this is my boyfriend, he's on ESPN, or this is my son, my nephew, he's on ESPN. All of a sudden you go back and you're like, yeah, I'm not, not on a radio station now. So it's, if you've got to try to take your outlook and flip it, instead of feeling bad for yourself and worrying about what those people think, stay positive and look at it as an opportunity. You know, every time you're a free agent, it's just another opportunity to take a step further in your career. You're, most places don't give you too many opportunities to move forward in your career. What they hire you as is what you are. Every time you're a free agent, you have to take it and try to think about it as an opportunity to move forward, as difficult as that may be. Well, that's, a, that's definitely the right way to look at it. That's the right mindset. I think people who are lucky enough not to be in that situation uh, don't ever understand the thought process of having to, having to make that decision and having to say, all right, this is what I'm going to do, this is where I'm going to go, and this is how I'm going to just push myself to get that next position. And well, you mentioned roadblocks in your way and, and people at, or at radio stations, prominent hosts or, or people in the business that might not be in your corner as an up-and-comer. On the flip side of that, though, are there, and, I, and I'll call them life rafts, people that are, are respected in the business that are willing to help out, just how valuable are those people to career development? Oh, I mean, they're, they're invaluable. I mean, the list of people that I could name that have helped me in this business is unbelievable. I mean, Andre Knott, mm-hmm. anybody who's in Cleveland knows, he's the sideline reporter for the Indians now, he's been a radio host here forever. Jason Gibbs, who was over at ESPN when I was there. Michael Regai, who's called ESPN games forever and then used to be the voice of the Cavs. And, I mean, the list goes on and on. And those people, you just soak up the knowledge you can get from them. Um, and and any time they have an opportunity where you can do something with them, you take it and you do it the best you can because so that's where you can really shine. Those people already have the respect in the industry. So they already have the knowledge and the respect. So you take the knowledge and you soak it up. And then when someone else sees you standing next to them, and holding your own next to that person, or here's you on the air with them, and here's you holding your own with those people, you know, that, that takes you up a notch in their mind. They might have never even heard of you before, but they go, oh, I, you know, I, I like this guy. You know, I like this girl. Mm-hmm. She, she actually does a really good job. Who, who is this? I have to look into her a little bit more. So, you know, personally, it's great. I, I say the number one thing in this industry, I always told interns, is, is network. You have no idea who might be able to offer you a job at some point in the future. You have no idea who might be able to, you know, give you a free bottle at a club or give you the next tip where you break a story or get you your next free dinner somewhere. You know what I mean? Those, all people in life have some kind of value to them, so network, but especially with people within your industry because your friends at some point could turn into your next job, your next story, your next big opportunity. Right. I think, you know what's funny? Well, I was listening to an interview with, uh, I think it was Samuel L. Jackson, where he said he's always nice to production assistants on movie sets because he saw a sign once early in his career that said, the toes you step on today are the asses you're going to kiss in the future. 
And I think that's so true to what you're saying. I think, no, in honesty, for me too, like I always found it a newfound respect and fascination with people that you mentioned, like Michael Ray Guy, Andre Not that they don't really have a whole lot to gain, but they're just nice people and willing to help out. Like there's no self-interest. They don't need to help you, but yet they still do it. Yeah, and I, I mean, and what, one thing you realize in this industry is there are some normal people, and those a lot of those normal people will help you out, and they'll out of the kindness of their heart or just befriend you and, and, and want to see you do good. There's a lot of odd people in this industry, though. I mean, really mm-hmm. odd people. People who you can tell maybe weren't the most social growing up and are very protective of what they have. Now, some of those normal people are very protective of what they have, too, and they end up being some of those roadblocks, but there's a socially awkward people, too, who you can tell probably didn't have a ton of friends, or um, if they did, they didn't like to talk to new people, and they're very, you know, very ter- territorial about the things that they have and they like and they do. And there's a lot of those people in this industry. And you know, for the Andre Nats and the Michael Red guys, you know, those were guys. If we weren't in this industry, I would kick with those guys and we'd hang out anyway. You know, if we were all, you know, we we're all steel yard workers somewhere, and they were just in a different part of the plant, we'd probably still go out and have beers and be friends in, in that aspect. So. I think recognizing and finding the people who are open to just being normal human beings is really key because once you get into this industry, for anybody who's thinking about it, you'll be surprised how many people are not normal human beings. And Mitch, you know, there's, there's a ton of them out there. That's so true. Um, but, you know, and I also think you look at it like who you can relate to, and I think that's part of picking picking the brains of the people that are quote-unquote normal people, I think. You know, it's it's tough to always, when you're trying to just think career-driven, to just think back and say, these are just normal guys that I would hang out with, but I, I do agree with you there. I, I'm still chatting with Will Burge on the Money Mitch Effect, and Will, I want to talk about your current position right now. And being a radio host in the current climate, and, and I'll throw in sports TV as well, the culture is a lot of hot takes, a lot of just saying something to go viral or to get a reaction. Where do you stand on that issue of the hosts that are just trying to get out there and to just get their name out there and say something controversial? Are you a fan of it at all, or do you think it needs to be kind of adapted a little bit? I, I, I honestly, I hate it. It's, um, it's part of the reason why I've branched out and done, I do more you know, hot talk, pop culture, politics as well, is because sports specifically has turned into this TMZ gotcha reporting yeah. Uh, radio hosts saying anything they will just to get a headline, and then just bashing people personally too, which I've never liked. You know, there's some people who shouldn't be bashed personally if that if that comes up and that's the case, but they'll bring anybody up and they'll bash them. So it is. This is a very odd time to get into this medium. Anybody can get big fast, but getting big the right way means more than just getting big because you're big. Because that 15 minutes of fame that you'll get for making a crazy YouTube video, it's not it's not going to last. You know, my daddy used to always tell me. When you're building a house, the first thing you have to do is build a foundation. If you don't build a sturdy right. foundation, the house is going to fall down sooner or later. It might be five days from now, it might be five years from now, it might be 50 years from now, but it's going to fall down. You build on a foundation, it'll last forever. So that's, I think, most importantly is to remember, if you're getting into this business, you know, you have to build a foundation of solid journalism, you know, really think through your takes. Look, being over the top is part of being in this business. That's fine. Everybody, everybody gets over the top sometimes. But knowing that sometimes when you do that, you're going to come across and sound like an absolute clown. Now, do you want everybody laughing at you for 15 minutes? Or do you want them laughing with you and listening with you, you know, for 15 years? I think that's a question a lot of people should be asking themselves right now. But in the era of YouTube and, um, you know, Spreaker and, like, all these different ways you can get your voice out there, there's a lot of people who just 
don't give a crap and they want you to last at them for 15 minutes, no gravity anywhere they can. Right, and I, don't, I honestly don't think that they, the people always giving these takes and, and acting the way they do, I, don't, I honestly don't know that they believe it all the time. It's just for that reaction. And I'm with you in the sense that attacking someone personally, you can root against someone, you can not be a fan of, of what they are and think that someone's overrated, but when you attack them personally, it changes the game. To me, though, the biggest damning thing in all this, Will, is that certain networks, certain companies are encouraging this behavior. This isn't just a rogue host. This is organizationally from the top down, and that's kind of disturbing from my vantage point. Well, I mean, look at look at the trend of ESPN TV. It's turned into all debate shows. It's all pundits. I mean, you go if you want to go outside of sports, look at TV uh, TV news. It's right. not even news anymore. It's all pundits. It's opinion, and that's really where we've, got, we've come to this fake. You know, fake news is the buzzword, the the, the, the hot phrase right now, right? And the reason we've gotten to this fake news thing isn't because there's so much fake news out there. Yeah, there certainly is. People just make stuff up, whatever. But it's because most people can't tell the difference between what news and opinion is because it's all being presented the same way today. News now is a, is pundits giving their opinion. And sports news is debate about different athletes. And I always live by, to go back to the personal thing, I always live by this rule. If you're in sports and you're going to have a radio show, I don't care what time it's on, on TV, no matter what it is, you should take the time to get to the locker room of the teams that you cover, you talk about, at least a couple times a year, at least. You should probably do it more than that, but at least a couple times a year. And if you can't walk in that locker room and look a man in the eye exactly. and say exactly what you said on the air, to him, you shouldn't be staying on the air because these are human beings. And damn it, I'm going to tell you, it's a small world. They listen. They will. You will see them sooner or later. You're going to have to answer for what you say. Um, and I agree with you. I don't think half people even believe what they say half the time. But they say it because they know that's how they can make some money. And some people have made some damn good careers out of it. But I think we've, I think we've hit the apex of it, and we're coming down the other side. And that's where you see everybody kind of revolting against fake news and revolting against the, you know, look at FS1. They they signed up Skip Bayless, and their yeah. ratings are trash. I mean, I don't know if you follow Richard Deese on on uh, on Twitter, but all the time he, you know, quotes Skip Bayless's tweets bashing LeBron or bashing this player, or bashing that player, and over top of it puts. You know, they had 17,000 viewers this day. They were beaten out by a rerun of the Golden Girls, which had 1.1 million viewers. I mean, yeah, people are rejecting this with their with their viewership and with their sponsorship money. It's starting to come down the other side of the hill, and hopefully, it continues that route because it'd be nice to get back to normal, uh, normal entertainment, normal news after what we've seen over the last couple of years. Right, I certainly hope that we've reached the apex and it starts to change, but we'll we'll have to see which way it goes. Well, your other main job is writing for the covering the Cleveland Browns for Bleacher Report, and it's been rough the last couple of years, to say the least. It's been pretty poor on the field. Now, in a city as passionate as Cleveland that wants the Browns to win more than anything, has this been a challenge to cover a team that's just been so perennially poor? Um, well, I'll tell you this. One, I that's on me because I haven't updated my bio, but I did leave Bleacher Report last year. Okay. But... Yeah, that's part of the reason I left there is because it was so damn hard covering a team <laughs> yeah. that is so bad in such a passionate area. And look, I, I, I loved Bleacher Report, and it was good money, and it was a lot of exposure. And I, I truly love writing, but, man, there's only so many times you can do a film session on Monday on a team, and you have to watch all four quarters, and I'm watching end zone copy of film, and this team is 2-12. and 12. You know, other people can shut the TV off in the second quarter and go drinking beers with their boys, or they can hit the Red Zone channel. And you got to watch this crap. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it's tough. Yeah. You're like, oh, well, you're the easiest job in the world. Try writing about the Browns five days a week, 
for three to four years, and you tell me if it's the easiest job in the world. Man, there are days when you just you want to quit. And, um, and, and it got to the point where it was partially covering the Browns on a day-to-day basis, partially I had some other opportunities. But it is. It is tough. I mean, I do, and I, I mean, I do the Browns pregame show now for WTAM. That's four and a half hours every Sunday morning before every game. And it's, it's tough, man. It is to find things to talk about for 17 weeks, including the bye week. And it's, it's a grind. You know, it's so much easier when I do the Cavs pregame show. You know, we're talking about marquee matchups. So we're, you know, we're, we're bringing out crazy stats. And maybe we're nitpicking about something here or there. But it's so much easier to talk about them or the Indians. When you get to talk about a team that's bad and a city that loves the team as much as Cleveland loves the Browns, man, it is tough. And anybody out there who says it isn't, they are lying. Yeah, I, I can only imagine what that's like when you devote much of your profession to a team so perennially poor. And, and I have to ask you this question, Will, because we, we've heard it time and time again with the Browns, another new edition of uh, organizational renovation. Is there any optimism that we can look at now? I think the money ball style trade is a step in the right direction, a little unconventional if that, but is there optimism now? Yeah, I think there's some. I mean, look, until they draft, we see them draft good, impactful players, this is always going to be a question mark, this regime. But uh, I like that they have a plan. They're sticking to it. Hopefully Jimmy Haslam is going to give them a couple years. He's spent, spending some money in free agency. They recognize that the offensive line wasn't good enough. He went and spent money there. That's the best place to spend money in free agency because you instantly get a return. Those guys get on the field. They're impactful. They can play right away. And you can change your offensive line in one offseason, which the Browns have done. The flip side of that coin, though, is what did they sign? They signed offensive linemen and a wide receiver. What did they draft last year? They draft offensive linemen and wide receivers. So maybe it's a little bit of an admission that they, I don't want to say they swung and missed on their first draft, but that maybe it wasn't as impactful as they had hoped for with all those picks. Or maybe it's an admission that they tore this thing down further than they maybe should have and they didn't have enough depth as they might have wanted to heading into last season. Either way, I think it's an admission that they're a young front office still finding a way. I'll be really interested to see what happens in this draft. I don't think the last one was a bust by any means. But I don't know if you have any of those top-tier impact players in there. Maybe Coleman, you know, maybe Agba. We'll see on those guys. I, they have the chance in this draft to get two top-tier impactful players and add them into all those guys who I'm hoping are at least above average or good. And then all of a sudden you have the basis for a team who's young and exciting and has, you know, there's actually a light at the end of the tunnel and a future that you can look to and, and, and be hopeful for it. Right, and with all those draft picks, with what we pretty much assume Miles Garrett being number one, I want to end the Browns talk with this. Will, do you think this is a situation where the Browns should just start, should just keep trying to, I don't want to say throw darts at the quarterback position, but Seattle took that approach where they guess they just kept trying to find guys that might be the one. Do you think that they are zeroing in on someone, or do you think it'll just be a constant process to find that signal caller in Cleveland? Um, I, well, I don't think. Like it's that delicate balance between constantly throwing darts and not wasting resources. Mm-hmm. But I do, I do like the idea of bringing in extra guys, you know, bringing in another veteran and drafting someone and letting that young guy develop behind a veteran. Who knows if that veteran is able to stick around? And, and we heard rumors they were kicking the tires on Jimmy Garoppolo and Kirk Cousins, and and all that's fine. But I mean, you know, it, and I know it. Until they fix that problem, there is no fixing what's happened with the Cleveland Browns since 1999. So I think it's going to be constantly be evolving. And who knows if it happens in this draft. But my big thing is if you love a guy and you think he changes your franchise and he's a franchise quarterback, you got no matter what it takes, you got to go get him. Yeah. I don't care how you do it, if it's trade, I don't care if it's draft or whatever, 
But if they come out of this draft and they have a guy that they love and at quarterback, or they come out of you know, they trade for a guy they love at quarterback, and they get playmakers as well, that's awesome. If there's not a guy they love, I don't I don't think you reach to do anything. You know, sign a veteran quarterback, have Cody Kessler as his backup, and try it again next season. It's one of those things. Like I said, it's a delicate balance. Got to keep throwing darts, but if you waste too many resources, you end up with a one in fifteen team with no quarterback. Right, and obviously the demands are high, but I'm, I've been in that camp for a long time. If you like someone, it does not matter what they cost. You have to go out and get them at that quarterback position. Will Burge, Money Mitch Effect. I want to switch to some somewhat of a more serious topic, Will, and that's a radio host role, your role in particular, in covering touchy, more sensitive stories. There was the one incident last year, the Johnny Manziel incident. I, I want to bring that up if you don't mind there. Yeah. The the story itself, you had a photo, I believe the, the story is, correct me again if I'm wrong, you had a photo sent to you, you tweeted out a picture, he snapped, you know, went went crazy. This was him watching the draft after the Browns had cut him. Is there anything about that that you regret, or would you handle differently, or do you think, in hindsight, you do the same thing all over again? Um, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't, I don't regret any, I don't think I would handle any of it differently. Um, maybe I wouldn't have told him I'll see him around downtown because I haven't seen him around downtown, and it probably wasn't all that unprofessional of me. But, you know, look, in our business, when you propel yourself in, and I guess I, get, I have to explain it from my side of things here, because that can, that can come across really bad, and I'm sure across the nations on TMZ and all stuff, and they're like, oh, douchebag radio host, going at Johnny Manziel. But you got to know, while Johnny Manziel was here in Cleveland, I know a lot of what Johnny <laughs> was doing here in town. I mean, Johnny ran with, with a group of people that I also run with. We were in the same place a lot of times. He was good friends with one of my good friends. I said, we, we'd spend, I mean, he knows he knows who I am, so that's why it was kind of surprising that night when he said, you know, you took the picture and couldn't come say it to my face. Like, he knows I'm not in Columbus. He knows I'm in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he thought I was down there. Who knows? Whatever. But, so, knowing all the stuff that had happened and knowing how much he pissed away his opportunity here and how many people he'd screwed over in this town, this wasn't like a get-back-at-him moment. But look, at a certain point, that's news. You know, Johnny Mandel, a guy who, some people at one point thought could be a number one pick in the draft, was still a first-round pick. They pinned the future of a franchise on him. And within two years, he's out of the league before Justin Bieber concert drinking a beer at a bar in Columbus, you know, watching the draft on TV. Man, that's news at that point. You know what I mean? I got yeah. the picture, and I verified that it was real, and I went with it. Obviously, it was real. He didn't like it. He wasn't too happy about it. Whatever. But I, I think justified beyond that is now you see what's happened to him through that period and since then, and hopefully it looks, I mean, he said he's got himself cleaned up, said he's making a run back at the NFL, who knows with that stuff, hopefully he does, because i got to tell you, Mitch, I like Johnny, like, personally, as a dude, I always liked him, we were always always cool, always cordial, I always thought he was nice, I always thought he got a really bad rap, personally, he actually did care about football when he was on the field, he just is the type of guy who, he's got so much going for him that if they won't give him the opportunity, you know, F it, he doesn't care, yeah. you know what I mean, he completely shuts down and goes the opposite way, so... In a role like that, you know, I also stuck up for him. There was some radio hosts that were coming at me in town. There were some guys who were on the hip-hop station here coming at me saying, oh, just trying to get a name off of Johnny Manziel. And I'm like, okay, I mean, who are you to talk? These are the same dudes who were DJing and emceeing in the club. Well, this dude was pissing his life away on a Tuesday or Wednesday night, knowing full well, or even on the nights before games, knowing full well that he had that the next day. You know, these guys weren't telling him to stop either. So, you know... Where's that line of complacency? So one thing I've learned in my career is you don't get too close with the players. 
Um, that's happened that happened to me in the past with Joe Hayden, and then I had to break a story on him getting busted for Adderall, um, which led to some really uncomfortable times between me and him. So I never really became friends with Johnny Manziel. But look, if I wanted to put some bad stuff about Johnny Manziel out mm-hmm. there, I could have put a million things out there. That wasn't the worst thing in the world, at least not in my opinion. And, and damn, man, that was, I mean, it's newsworthy. Look how much it blew up that that dude was sitting in a bar watching the draft on TV two years after he was drafted. Yeah, I mean, Manziel's such a touchy, was such a was such a firestorm in Cleveland, especially, and nationally. I don't think ethics, there was anything wrong there. I mean, anybody in that position, I don't know what else the outcome would have been. If a photo is, is sent to you like that, you have an opportunity to get news out there. I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. And and I would also say, too, I mean, the stories, you, you, you alluded to that. They were just so bad. There were just so many of them for this guy. You saw how bad the product at quarterback was. For his teammates, for his coaching staff to not believe in him, for them to say, no, this guy is just, like you said, pissing his life away. I mean, it's just, it's almost tragic to that point. And, and I'm, I was in the camp too. I don't, I didn't know him, obviously didn't meet him, but did not seem like a bad guy just had those issues around him. I, you know, it's, it is fortunate. Yeah. There's a lot of self-serving people around him. And, and I think for him to come at you was unfortunate as well. Yeah. You know, but hey, I don't blame him. Like that's, that's part of the game. You yeah. know, I wasn't, surprise it was a crazy week in my life after that thank god i was actually going on vacation to the middle of the grand canyon with no cell phone service for a couple days um because my phone wouldn't stop going off but it was you know i don't blame him for coming back to me that way either i just think you know it's this is a weird world we live in uh, or that we work in, in in the sports industry because if people think the media and players are separate and all stuff but if you're young and you go out you know, you're in the same places these guys are at. And you run, especially in a city like Cleveland, which isn't that big, you run some of the same circles they're in, you hear a lot of things. Now, what I will say is this. What you can't do is all those stories I alluded to, you can't put those out there. Because if you're running in some of those same circles, and that stuff's happening around you too, you can't go and throw that guy under the bus for it. That's just yeah. not the way this works. You know what I mean? Um, you have to be fair to the people that you're covering as well. And, and I think I was always fair to Johnny, extremely fair to him, giving the benefit of the doubt, more than most people in this town. Unfortunately, with that instance, you know, that was, he didn't really, he didn't even do anything wrong. It was just a newsworthy item that had to be out there. Yeah, and I, and I think, too, I mean, you could say better than anyone. It was, there was a lot going on around Manziel. It wasn't just one incident, yeah. and, and it, it's, it's a shame, too, especially as a professional. You know, it's not just him. He's catering to a city that wants a good football team and all those professionals. I think it was Joe Thomas well, who said, you know, this is our livelihood, this is our job, you know, this isn't just some hobby. Yeah. And he didn't really quite say Johnny Menzel, but we all kind of knew who he was talking about. Well, well, before before we wrap this up, I do want to ask you uh, another thing, and it's about, you know, being a radio host in Cleveland. It's, as far as cities goes is with sports fans, and I know I'm, we're both biased, but the passion level is top-notch. But do you have to, on the flip side of that, deal with critics in a different way? I mean, this is a town that cares deeply about their sports. So when you say something that might not be the, the popular take or agreed upon, it might not come off as well. Do you deal with critics a, a particular way, or do you kind of have to adjust that as it goes? You know, I, I, I like to think that I have pretty thick skin with that stuff, and I don't really let anything bother me. Now, I think you should listen to constructive criticism you should always listen to. And... Certainly during my years, I've learned different ways to handle things. Um, I had some real real heavy criticism from some people that I really respected after the whole Joe Hayden thing I referenced earlier. And not that it was handled the wrong way on my part, but it could have been handled better. You learn and adapt. Now, from the fans themselves, and you're talking about their passion, I mean, the fans don't want to hear this, 
basically what they have to say really doesn't matter because if it does and you're worried about what they're saying every day, you're not going to last in this business. Mm-hmm. You know, I love the fans. I love, there's nothing more than I like to meet someone as I came in. 3 Deep is my favorite show. You know, let me buy you a beer and I'll sit there and I'll BS with them at the bar for 45 minutes. I don't care. You know, it doesn't matter to me. I, I don't look at myself as anybody different than anybody else. I just have a job where people t- happen to listen to me. But if I were to take all that criticism and take it to heart, because, man, I get it, especially talking politics, Mitch. Mm-hmm. I'm on at WTM 1100, and I'm talking politics, and it is a far right-wing-leaning station, and I'm pretty down the middle, maybe lean a little bit left here, but I, I think I try to think of things rationally. The yeah. things they say about me and the things they say about you know, my girlfriend, who obviously nobody even they don't know, the things they say about uh, my family members and stuff, like if you let that stuff really get to you, they'll run you out of the business fast. So the thick skin is certainly important in everything, but especially in a town that's as passionate about sports as this, and especially if you're going to venture off in other avenues, like I said, like politics, where people, you know, there's it's all emotion. Their beliefs are their beliefs. And I mean, that's akin to how Browns fans feel, you know. So you got you got to have tough skin when you're doing this. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the the genesis for for succeeding in this business. And well, I don't I don't want to get into politics. Obviously, that's not my forte here on this show. But you brought up uh, an interesting point, and and I know I came across it a little bit ago. You cover the Cleveland sports. You cover the Cavs. Obviously, they're looking for for new funding uh, for their arena situation. But you've been against this from the beginning. Well, you actually spoke in front of uh, the city council for, uh, against public funding for any arena updates. It's, I can tell it's a very passionate thing for you. What motivated you to, to take a stand and, and put yourself in the public eye like that? Well, hearing the stories, I think, was, was most important. I, I used to, when I mentioned before, I worked as a phone technician. I worked in the inner city in Cleveland. So I've been in outweight housing projects, Carver housing projects. And I worked in these places. I worked off Hoff. I worked down off St. Clair and in the 100 streets. And, and it's, it's bad down there. You know, it's bad. People are living in basically a third world country. And it's not that I'm against the Q funding at all. And I think I hope I said it, I've stated that pretty clearly. I'm for the Q funding. I'm actually for the county and the city pitching in. But there's a better way to go about this deal. When this city is dealt with poverty and this city is dealt with crime and this city is dealt with, you know, we have, one, we have the highest infant mortality rate in the country. We have one of the highest opioid overdose rates in the country. You know, when all that stuff's happening here, and government hasn't been able to get creative to get money to get it fixed, then all of a sudden, Quicken Loans Arena needs a new face. And it does need a new face, by the way. It's the second oldest arena in the NBA. I'm totally for it. I get it. I love the pictures of a new place. It's great. But all of a sudden, it takes them a couple of weeks, and they turn out a creative project to make it happen. Now, there's something wrong with that to me. Right. So some of that money, yeah, there needs to be some creative, creative creativity put in to make sure some of this money is going to places it needs to be going here as well and taking care of the Cavaliers. And... And honestly, Mitch, some of the false narratives that have been put out there are crazy to me. The Cavs will move, man. Yeah, okay. The NBA is going to let the Cavs move the team with LeBron James on it, who's from this area. It's never going to happen. The other narratives that, oh, it's, you know, they're not raising your taxes at all. It's just come out of other funds. Well, yeah, those other funds are for tourism here. They're to attract events here to bring new people to Cleveland. This is just putting money into events that have already been here. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, this will bring bigger events than we could have had before. The RNC was just here. There is no bigger event. I mean, literally, the Republican National Convention is as big as it can possibly get for an event. There's other, you know, minutiae details where they've, they've, it's a PR thing to try and make it sound in the way when it's not. But I got to tell you, it's been tough. And for anybody out there who's listening and thinking about getting in the industry, it's tough to hold your ground and 
stand up for something you believe in when it can affect you personally in your profession, which is how it is with me. I work for the Cavs flagship station. I do the pregame shows from on the court. Um, I've spoiled a lot of relationships within that organization because of the stand that I've taken. But at the end of the day, I can go to sleep knowing that I, I'm standing up for the right end of this thing. No matter how it ends up turning out, I know that there is bigger needs in this area than just putting a new face in Quicken Loans Arena. And if we're creative, we can get it all done together. And, and that lets me sleep at night. Right. I mean, it, it, it takes a, a special kind of courage to do what you did. Well, not only just put yourself out there, but you're already out there in the media. And, you know, I, I think it's I think it's admirable, too, that you're again, going back to what you said when, in the, the hot takes discussion where you should be in the locker room being willing to stand up for yourself and, and show your face. I mean, I got to imagine it hasn't been like you said, it hasn't been the most smooth sailing since then. But, you know, it. it <laughs> no, you, man, the believe it, it, yeah. definitely scary there uh will burge on the money mitch effect before i let you go will uh the last seven years your seven years in the radio industry it's been interesting i think you've pretty much seen a lot i don't know a seven-year stretch in cleveland history that's quite gone the way it's gone um has there been any moments though for you where you've had to kind of pinch yourself like i can't believe i'm i'm covering this i'm this close to say whatever i mean it, it just seems like there's been so much yeah, to choose from um, like I said, uh, my outdated. My bio is a little outdated. So it's actually that was three years ago. So that's that's crazy. I'm actually ten years in now. My ten year anniversary actually just passed. So I'm a decade in. But dude, there's been so many moments. One of them is just this past. The Cavs won a championship. I was like I said, I do the pregame shows, and we would do our pregame shows for the Cavs at home. They'd be on the court before the game, and then when they went on the road, we would be in the queue for the watch party. So we do the pregame show. And then I would have my son there. He's eight years old, and I'd bring him down. We'd sit courtside. Well, during the Republican National Convention, and that's what was going on towards the end of the finals, they ripped the whole floor out, so we had to go sit up in the stands. For anybody who's from Cleveland, they know how legendary Joe Tate is. Joe Tate's one of the most legendary of basketball announcers of all time, and he retired a couple years back. And I was sitting on Father's Day in Joe Tate's seat with my eight-year-old son next to me in Quicken Loans Arena with 17,000 or 18,000 other crazy Cavs fans crying and jumping up and down when the Cavaliers won the championship. That's one of those moments, like, you know, I would have never got that opportunity had I not, had I not been in this industry. And um, it, was, it, was, it was cool because I grew up as a Cleveland sports fan. I grew up a diehard Cavs fan. I grew up a season ticket holder of the Browns. I had tickets to every Cavs playoff game in the first run when they were there. I started covering this team when LeBron was here the first time. I remember being in the locker room my, like, second year in the business, and it was LeBron and Shaq in the locker room. <laughs> and I'm thinking, like, how much bigger can this be? How much crazier can this get? And no, but nothing, nothing ever will top that moment in Quicken Loans Arena, sitting in Joe Tate's seat celebrating that championship. It's just, it's been an unbelievable ride. Well, that is surreal. And I do have to ask about not only the Cavs but the Indians too. I mean, you saw the Indians one game away from a World Series, almost had both titles in one calendar year within months. There's got to be, obviously, a lot of optimism for the Cavs to get back to the finals and defend their championship. But the Indians, again, who 
it wasn't always smooth sailing these last this last decade, but now have built themselves to be a contender as well. Yeah, and I I, guess I do the Indians pregame shows. And I do those because we're the flagship station. I do that from in Progressive Field. I mean, do it in the we have our own radio booth. I get my own booth for the entire game. That's great. I bring my son up and all that stuff. But once again, the Indians haven't always been the happiest with me because man, I'll I'll kill them if they're bad and they're doing the wrong things and making wrong signings. I get on them because. You should be held to a high standard. You're a professional sports franchise. But since Mark Shapiro left, uh, Chris Antonetti and his and his vision for this franchise and what they've done, the moves they've made, the signings they've made, are second to none in all of Major League Baseball. This season, I cannot tell you how excited I am for it to come up with Edwin Encarnacion and Boone Logan getting mm-hmm. added in the mix. And it looks like Michael Brantley's going to be playing. I played a Major League game today out of spring training, going to play again tomorrow. You know, This is an exciting time to be a Cleveland fan. But baseball is so ingrained in people here. It's been on for so long that as great as it was for the Cavs to win, and I know that was my number one, that's the one I really wanted to win. I've always been a huge, huge hoops head. This town will explode if the Indians win. And then as much as the town will explode <laughs> if the Indians win, if, if the Browns ever won it, oh, Earth man. would open and swallow this entire region. Yeah. It would be the end of times. <laughs> that's as simple as that. Yeah, it's like it's building up to uh, the ultimate Browns win when it just ends, when Cleveland is just no longer a city anymore. I think and, that's, then all our, and then all our lives are over because there's obviously that'd be the end of Earth, I'd imagine. I, it'd have to be. I don't <laughs> think you could peak. I think that's it. We'd be tapped out. Well, Will, i, I got to ask you before I let you go, thanks again for coming on the show. I, I just want to know going forward, I mean, you've now been in the radio game a decade. What, what's next for you? Where do you... I don't want to ask the generic question of where you see yourself, but what do you think the next moves are, you know, in the near future? Uh, you know, I have some opportunities to do some really cool things with an iHeartRadio, and um, I don't know, we'll see how those pan out. Uh, some things are in the works there. Um, I've had some offers to do some TV deals. I shot a couple of TV pilots over the last couple of years, and, and one of them hopefully looks like it's going to be actually forming into something that will be realistic. Uh, and then, you know, kind of doing those things, and, and I got in. I really have fallen in love with, with politics. And I know people think that's crazy because people try to avoid politics at all costs. But there's not a lot of people who can go into politics and keep a, a straight head on themselves and not get emotional about it. And for some reason, I'm able to do that. And I, and I, so I don't know if that's going to take me into politics at some point or if I talk about politics as a secondary show or a primary show or, or where that may take me. But there's something about trying to... There's something about trying to do real good in the world. You know, sports are great. Mm-hmm. Sports are a great distraction. Sports can really uplift the community, but nothing can uplift the community like like real good governing or real good policy or, you know, the things that can happen from politics, from government, and, and, and actually changing and fixing things. So I, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, I'm open to anything. If somebody came to me tomorrow and was like, hey, here's a, here's 500 grand a year, come write comedy in Hollywood, I would go do that too. I mean, I love money, Mitch. Yeah. That's one of my driving forces. I love money. But I'm, I'm open to anything, man. I just like trying new things. So I, honestly, I don't know. And I'm, I'm as excited as anybody to see I had up. Well, if you're interested in politics and you're middle of the road, I think there's an opening for you. I think there's a void that I can, I can speak. I think there's a lot of people that would need something like that. Um, but... No, in all, in all honesty, I, I think that having your hands on a lot of things is going to work out well for you. And while I wrap this up, Will Burge, Money Mitch Effect, I just want to say thanks again for, you know, when I first started ESPN Radio as an intern in 2010, I came across some of figures. A lot of them were nice, some not so nice, but you were one of the most helpful people. So I just want to say thanks for that and kind of pushing us, me in particular, in the right direction. 
Yeah, man. I, well, I was uh, I was I was single and I was partying a lot back then, so I'm <laughs> glad I told you that instead of the world wrong thing to do. So I did one good thing back then. That's good. Right, there may there may have been a few. <laughs> yeah, there may have been a few uh, <laughs> weekends after wedding uh, shifts where where we kind of just had to calm it down a little bit. But no, most of the time it was great advice. <laughs> But, well, thanks again. We'll have to do this, and uh, we'll have to do this again. Thanks for coming on the show. And, uh, yeah, you're still – I just want to give a quick plug for everyone out there. Is it You're still on uh, the radio on the weekends? Is that in addition to your pre- yeah. and post-game stuff? Yeah, Saturday, uh, Saturdays and Sundays usually. Um, I was showing in tonight, um, News Radio WTAM 1100 in Cleveland. If you just go to iHeartRadio, the app, and search my name, Will Burge, B-U-R-G-E. I've got a channel on there. I'll stream when I'm on. I podcast when I'm not. And um, – yeah, follow me on Twitter at Will Burge, and anytime you want me to come on, man, you let me know. All right, appreciate it. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. Big thanks to Will Burge for coming on the show. I appreciate him taking the time to discuss sports, his background. He'll definitely be invited back on the show. And uh, I feel comfortable saying it. He, he's sort of like a mentor to me. We uh, interns at that time came into the, the business, came into a big radio station, kind of looking for someone to guide us. And Will, well, <laughs> he is definitely entertaining. You know, he, he as he said, he likes to party, likes to have a good time. He's a hard worker as they come, and he definitely pushed a lot of us in the right direction. So we thank him for that. I personally thank him for that, uh, for setting a, a nice model for some of us to look up to and to try to strive to get to. All right, now it's time for the return, the well-weighted return of Mitch's Three Things. I don't even have a name for this segment. I just like to talk about three different things when uh, they come up that I want to make sure we touch on this week. Number one, the World Baseball Classic. I apologize to any of you listeners out there that wanted more of a detailed discussion on that. Quite frankly, we weren't able to coordinate a lengthy segment on the matter, but I just want to say I'm a big fan of of all international tournaments, I think it's great. I think it's great for the competition. I think it's great for the spirit of the game, whatever game that may be. And I also think it's great when America wins, when America just dominates. And that's what they did in the championship game, beating Puerto Rico to win the World Baseball Classic, their first World Baseball Classic trophy. And I think a couple of things. First, while we all would like to see the better players play, the best of the best play in any sport, we understand that that's not always the case. That's not always going to be the case. And I think for Team America's, Team America World Police, Team USA's perspective for their case, there was obviously some reasons why guys couldn't go. And you're always going to have players that just don't want to go or managers or owners or management that just don't want to have them in the game, in in this game, right before the baseball season starts, just about 10 10 days away or so. Um, But I do think it was great to see them show that they cared, that they wanted to win, that they were passionate about the sport. And I think it's good. I think this could grow the game. I think it's something that should take off in the years to come. It seems like more and more of these World Baseball Classics, there's more of an investment by the players, by the coaching staffs, by the people involved. So that's good to see. And hey, that Ball of Eagle trophy that they brought out, the mini statue that Team USA brought out and put on the mound and danced around, it's awesome. One of the best one of the best additions to any celebration I've ever seen. And I'm proposing it right now. I'm proposing that we pass that around. USA Baseball, pass that around to every USA team in competition. It should be passed around from you know hockey to soccer to what have you, uh, softball, you name it. I think it would be great to have that as like the little uh, gift that keeps on giving to Team America when they're in competition. So congrats to the boys in red, white, and blue. Topic number two, I have to talk about tennis because if you're not following it right now, 
and I don't know how often a lot of you follow tennis. It is a long sport. There's four majors, but there's so much going on in the non-major times. And that's where we're at right now, the month of March, which is the big money mar March. <laughs> it's a big money March, big money month. I'll say that two times fast. But it is the time when there's two Masters 1000s events. That's pretty much it. There's not really much tennis going on in addition to two big tournaments that are probably the two biggest tournaments not named majors. Indian Wells, which was just completed in the Miami Open, which just started on the women's side. Got to give props to Elena Vesnina. She's in her 30s now, hard to believe. She's 30. She'll be 31 this year. But she won the Masters 1000 title, a late bloomer indeed. But, you know, hey, there's always time to play. And with Serena Williams out, with some other injuries, with some other people taking time off, maternity leave for Azarenka, it's good to see someone take advantage of that, even the seasoned veteran like Elena Vesnina. And Roger Federer winning his 90th title. There's really not much left to be said about a guy that is arguably, not in my mind, but some people argue that he's not the greatest player. I think he's the greatest of all time. And he has 18 majors, won the Australian Open. Now he's all the way back up to six in the world. He won Indian Wells for the fifth time. Federer, man, the guy is just unbelievable. His backhand looks better than it's been. It, he's getting better in certain areas of his game at age 35. It's remarkable to see. We'll see if he keeps it going in Miami, what the clay court season holds for him. But with Novak Djokovic and Andy Murray both out, and you can even open it up to the women's game with Serena Williams out. This is an opportunity, a Masters 1000. We haven't seen that younger generation in both sides of the sport break through. This could be that time. We keep waiting for someone on the men's side in the 90s to win a Masters 1000. The 90s, that would be 26 and under. You know, I'm winning a title, and they still haven't done it yet. So come on, guys, we're waiting on you. But if Federer wants to keep winning, I'm not opposed to that either. And topic number three, I'm going all across the grid today. Topic number three is college hockey. That's right, college hockey. It doesn't get a whole lot of pub. I know I'm guilty of it myself. I haven't really talked about it that much. But the Frozen Four tournament starts today Four regionals. Only 16 teams get into college hockey's version of March Madness. Same structure, though, single elimination. These teams win two games this weekend, and they're into the Frozen Four in Chicago this year. I encourage any of you out there listening, whether you're a fan of college hockey, hockey in general, or not, to just give this tournament a chance because you will see some of the most passionate, hardworking play that you've seen in sports. These kids really do care. This is the end of the road for a lot of them. Though some of them, the game's growing, and you're going to see more and more skill, and you're seeing more future pros than ever before. But this is also is the end of the line for a lot of players I really encourage you to watch it. It's passion. It's college athletics. It's not basketball, but then again, it doesn't necessarily want to be or, or have to be in that case. So that's my last thing. Just make sure you give college hockey uh, a shot this weekend, some good teams. And we might actually get that in the show next week. We got a lot to talk about if we can get to the Frozen Four, that the final, the semis and finals being the following week. So we'll definitely talk about that on the show in the week to come. That's going to do it for today's episode of the Money Mitch Effect. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to Will Burge again for coming on the show. Brian Nelson on the logo. Tim Adams on the beats. You know, and I want to say I hope you guys enjoyed last night's March Madness. It was a wild ride to get there. Some bad possessions in the early game. But I want to give a big congratulations to all the winners of the game. That is Oregon, Kansas, Gonzaga, and Xavier pulling off the stunner very late. A big congratulations to them. The Money Mitch Effect can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play by just searching it right there in the search box. It pops right up. And you can find all the episodes, 68 now in total. We are moving, folks. We are absolutely moving. 
Follow me at Twitter, MoneyMitchM21. Next week's show is going to be a few of them. We've got to talk college basketball, hockey, as I mentioned, and some other sports as well. Maybe an interview or two. Who knows? Maybe. We'll see. That's going to do it for the show. I am Mitch Michaels. Thank you for listening. This was the Money Mitch Effect. I'll see you next time. Enjoy the sports this weekend.